you know, we live in a society of what have you done for me lately? And um, if you go to any sort of sporting events, we'll see the fickleness of man, right? Like, we are so excited about our team when they're doing well, and then we're cheering and, and, and oh, awesome, and then when they're not doing well, immediately come the booze. Um, we are for one of our favorite musicians when they're putting out number one hits, but then when they have a couple bad songs or they're in a lull, we kind of like, ah, I don't like them anymore. We, we can say, this is my favorite actor in this movie, and then they do one or two bad movies and they're no longer a good actor, right? Um, we, we can look at our job and like, oh, this is good for me today, but based on something else, something bigger, brighter, better on the horizon, gone tomorrow. Um, even in relationships, right? If I am happy, if this person is giving me this one thing, I'm all about it. But the second that you're not making me happy, the, the second that you're not bringing me some sort of joy or satisfaction, we can quickly leave them. We, we just live in the society of what have you done for me lately. And yet, this is nothing new. We actually see this in the life of Jesus. And oftentimes, we're going to see that people are for him when he's doing miracles and cool and amazing things. Rah, rah, go Jesus. And then as we transition to the end of his life where one day they're, they're rooting for him as the, the grand king entering that town, and then that same group, that same crowd, very shortly thereafter, is screaming for his crucifixion. And so we're going to look at a story today where we're going to be contemplating Christ and the crowd. But I want, you to complicate, I want you to contemplate this. Just think of this as we go throughout our time. What is your commitment level to Christ and his mission? Maybe you're committed to Christ for the benefits, but are you burdened that others would come to know Christ? Are you just in it, this Christian walk for the benefits and blessings of Jesus, or are you burdened for others to come to know Jesus? You know, last week we started the official ministry of Jesus, and we're really covering the one full day in the life of Jesus, so last week we, we covered the first part of his public ministry day, and he's there at Capernaum, and he's doing some dynamic teaching and some divine casting out demons, and the authentic, absolute power of Jesus is seen on display. And then after that, we're going to pivot and see a new scene shift today. So we went from the public ministry to the private ministry, and what we're going to see is Jesus out in public and Jesus in private. His characteristics, his attributes, they do not change, and hopefully for you and I as Christians, who we are doesn't change in church, out of church, in our home, out of our home, that we would just be representing Jesus well in all places at all times. And so today we're going to see that pivot in verses 29 through 34. But here's what I want us to be thinking of. As we examine Christ and his ministry and his mindset, here's what we'll notice. His mission never changed. His mindset never shifted. And so he was committed to his call, and hopefully that would be true of us. And so the sermon title of today is this. Mission over miracles. Mission over miracles. You see, while the miracles are amazing work of God, don't miss the overarching mission of God. You see, the fact is, Jesus came to serve on mission regardless of all the miracles that he does or doesn't do. 
And you and I should be committed to the mission of Christ regardless of the, the miracles that we do or do not see within our life. The miracles within our life should not be our motivation for what we do and how we live. You see, God, Jesus, isn't some sort of genie in the bottle that we, we look to barter with. Hey, hey, Jesus, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. No, 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 no. We, we ought to say, Jesus, I'm going to serve you regardless of what you do or do not do in my life. You see, you do not dictate the terms to God. You do not tell Jesus what to do and how you will serve on my terms, Jesus. No, 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 no. It should be the exact opposite way around. And so what we're going to see in the life of Jesus is he's committed to this mission. He's going to do some miracles along the way, which is also an amazing, but we ought not get caught up in all of that, that we lose sight of his central focus, because his central focus ought to be our central focus in life. And so you and I shouldn't be going around just looking to, to do all these miracles as if miracles is the be-all, end-all, because the fact of the matter is we're going to see miracles happen. And as people were healed on that day, and as people had demons cast out, Way beyond that day, because that was temporal, these people died, right? <laughs> so that was really cool, it was an awesome miracle, but they, they spend and are spending eternity somewhere based on their reaction and response to Jesus. And so we can't get caught up in all of this. And so the big idea that I want us to see this morning is this. We should never let our fascination with Jesus' miracles distract us from the focus of his mission. We should never let our fascination with Jesus' miracles distract us from the focus of his mission. You see, I think all too often, sometimes we can look at Christ and his miracles and they overshadow his mission. And I don't think Mark wants us to do that, which is why he gives short accounts of some of this stuff, because Jesus is going to be quickly moving on to get back to the mission. He's always considering the mission, the mission, the mission. Why did I come? Why did I come? Why did I come? And here's what we know. Christ didn't come to simply perform miracles. He came to be the Messiah to man. He didn't come just to heal man's sickness. He came to be the, the sole deliverer of man. He came to be the redeemer. And so rather than looking for the miracles, we need to be looking to live on mission. Rather than looking to fulfill my kingdom, we need to be considering fulfilling the mission of Christ's kingdom. And so while Christ was putting people on notice that the Messiah has arrived. He's doing it in a strategic way. So things will play out, but they're gonna play out according to his timetable. And so as he shifts and moves and says this or doesn't says this or silence people here or demons here, it's all for a purpose. It's all part of his mission plan that he has the blueprints to. And so there's going to be times where he, he calls for silence, where he calls them to, to not speak of these things, or he shares things with certain people here and not certain people here. And so today's narrative is really going to give us a glimpse of Christ's ministry, but it's really to help us see or foresee the bigger, grander mission of Jesus as a whole. You know what's interesting in our passage today? We don't see any spoken words of Jesus. So if you have a, a Bible that has red letters, you're not going to see any words of Jesus. doesn't mean he's not speaking, but sometimes actions speak louder than words. And in this case, we're going to see some actions and attributes of Christ that give us a, a glimpse into him, who he is, and what he is all about. And so, as we think about this, I don't want us to think of miracles as being wrong, as if Jesus is doing something wrong by doing miracles. No, there, there's nothing wrong with Jesus doing miracles. It shows who he is and, and all these other things. But you know what? Um, 
we ought not get discouraged if miracles aren't happening in our life, nor should we not pray for God to bring forth miracles. Lord, would you do something that I cannot do? Will you work on this behalf so we can still pray for those things? And God can still miraculously work. In fact, if we went around this room, I, I, I think we could probably identify some miracles and each of you could testify in one way, shape, or form miracles that you've experienced or maybe miracles of other family and friends that, that you're aware of. God still works in and through miracles. But the man of Jesus was way more than just miracles. And so we're going to see that hopefully today. You know, as we work through the book of Mark, hopefully you're having a growing appreciation for expository preaching. That is working verse by verse through the passages and along the way connecting the dots. And this is really significant that we do this, that we just don't hop here and hop there and hop everywhere all the time. There's times and places where we may do that. But we're just methodically seeking to walk and follow the footsteps and the pathways of Jesus because it's going to help connect so many things that we might overlook if we just take snippets here or snippets here. And so what we don't see with Jesus is we don't see him just saying, hey, the Messiah has arrived. I'm here. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. Come one, come all. The Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. We don't see him doing that. It's part of the method of his mission. And here's what we're going to discover with the Messiah it's oftentimes mysterious. It's not always black and white. It's not always just plain there. And so it's through the expository preaching that we're starting to see some of these things. And so Mark, even this morning, he's going to pull back the curtain. He's going to give us a little different glimpse into Jesus, insights of the Messiah and his mission. And here's what we're going to discover. Jesus is so much more than some miracle man. He is a man on a mission, and he moves from one scene to the next. Having said that, let's look at our text. Verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon, that's Peter, and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about uh, her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The first thing that we're going to see this morning is a glimpse of Christ's kingdom, a a glimpse of God's kingdom. We already saw a few weeks ago, one of the things Jesus mentioned, I I bring the kingdom of God near. And we're going to see the the nearness of God's kingdom in in just a glimpse of what he's doing here. And so the scene changed in verse 29. They left the synagogue, they leave the synagogue, they head to Simon and Andrew's house. This is going to be the base of operation and James and and John are going to be with them there, so they're they're all going back to the the home base. They're going to reload and and reevaluate where they go and what they do and all of these things. And so rather than reflecting, though, on the amazing work at the synagogue, they are met with a real-life situation. We don't waste any time of of seeing that there's a real-life problem here. It says in verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, Here's what we understand. There's nothing she could have done about this sickness, nothing Simon could have done, nothing Andrew could have done, nothing anyone could do. So what do they do? They do the one thing they could do. 
take their burdens, take their cares to Jesus. And this is a good thing. And so, look at what they said. They told him about her at once. So without delay, they tell Jesus, and he responds. You know, you and I should probably be like Simon. We should probably be like Andrew and and the they right there. That when these problems arise, rather than seeking answers and solutions here, there, and everywhere, we ought to go to Christ. And that's what we see them doing. They bring the situation to Jesus. They knew there's nothing that they could do. They feel helpless. And so right away, we see that. Look at verse 31. He, that is Jesus, went to her and took her by the hand and raised her up. Doesn't appear that he's saying anything even right here. He just takes her by the hand and raised her up. You see, Jesus has the authority and absolute power to not only drive out spirits from last week, but to also heal the sick. It says there, the fever left her. You see, the nature of the illness is not what is important. What is important is the power of the healer. So we don't know to what degree the sickness is, but here's what I know. You and I, we can't go to our sick friend or family member and just instantaneously heal them. Whatever it is, whether it's a minor fever or they're on death's doorstep, it doesn't matter. We, we don't have that power. And yet Jesus just goes into her bedside, takes her by the hand, gets her up, and the fever's gone. This is a miracle. This is amazing. And here's what we learn. The all-sufficient power of Jesus is able uh, to do any and all things. This is no match. No sickness, no spirit. It's no match for Jesus. But here's what we also learn. This wasn't an eternal thing. She's not healed from future sickness. Who's to say a week from now she didn't get sick again? Or a year from then, or whatever. This is a temporary fix. And here's what we learn about Jesus. Jesus didn't come to just do temporary fixes. You see, if Jesus can cast out demons, though, he can surely cure the sick. But this isn't why he came. His mission was not providing temporary healing, but he can certainly do that, has the power to do so as he sees fit. So as he sees people, can I heal that person? Sure. I mean, wouldn't you do that if you just had the instantaneous power to heal people? Someone's sick, no, I will not heal you, or would you not just take them by the hand and heal them? This is what what and who Jesus does. I mean, it's amazing. Did he have to? No, he didn't have to. But in love and compassion, we're starting to see the heart of Jesus. He does. And his personal touch restores her health. You see, Jesus makes her whole and healthy. Why? Because he is pure and holy. He he has the power of God radiating through him. You and I don't have that. Why? Because we're not pure and holy as him. We don't have this authentic power that he does. So, well, why can't I do that? Because you're not Jesus. Because you're not God. I mean, did this make sense, that, that we can't do this? Hack, how is this a glimpse of Christ's kingdom, though? How is this a glimpse of God's kingdom? Well, if you think about it, he is taking that which is sick and broken and restoring and making that which is good and whole. Revelation 21 gives us a better glimpse. Now think about this. Who's in the house? James and John. Later on, years down the road, John is going to write the book of Revelation, and he's going to give us a a further, better glimpse as to the kingdom of God. 
And so as we're thinking of the restoration of health and all things being made new here in this scene in the right now temporarily, it's just, a, it's just a foreshadowing, a picture of what is to come. Popular verses, listen to this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, that is with people, and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now keep in mind, as Jesus is right there with them, right, he's right there, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more, grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Her pain was no more in this moment, but not forever. Because of the previous things have passed away. Old kingdom, new kingdom. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to their thirsty from the spring of water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Let me say that again in verse 7. The one who conquers, that is the Christian who, who follows Christ, they are more than conquerors. Oh, he will be their sons. He, he will be living and dwelling with God in this perfect place of, of no pain and no tears and all of these things. This is a glimpse of what Jesus is, is showing, is peeling back, and, and we're seeing this right here. What a wonderful thought. And as we think of Jesus, he's not concerned with the earthly ministry of the immediate and temporal relief. He is concerned with the eternal, that which is permanent, that which is forever, that which never fades, that which never fails, this, this wonderful kingdom so much different than the broken kingdom in which we live now. And so as he does this marvelous work, what is her response well, she gets right back to life. It says there, and she began to serve them. Let us, let us lean into this just for a moment. I don't want us to, to minimize domestic work here because what we see is we see this faithful servant that in, in a moment of being sick and bedridden is unable to serve God and serve others as she desires. But as soon as health is restored, I'm gonna get back in the game and do what I'm supposed to be doing. And maybe in this case, it's cooking, it's cleaning. It doesn't really seem that glamorous. And yet she is cooking and cleaning, not for the benefit of herself, but for the glory of God. She is serving Christ and serving others. And so if you're at home at time doing what would seem to be meaningless work, mindless work, cooking and cleaning and dishes and vacuum and all this stuff, it's not meaningful. It can be a significant way to glorify God. I love Romans 12, 1. It says this, popular verse. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, because God has been so merciful to you, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. That living sacrifice, that's, that's selfless. That's significant service. Domestic work can be a delightful work in serving God. 
yeah, but it's not fun. Yeah, but no one, no one appreciates the work I do, and, and, and I, I just do it, then I have to do it again because it's, it's all been undone by the kids or this, that, or whatever. No, 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 no. You're not doing it for the benefit and blessing of you. You're doing it to serve God. This is what he wants them to know. This is our reasonable service, to serve Christ. In the mundane tasks, they now become meaningful. And, and, and here's what we come to understand. Those words serve, this carries the concept of waiting on or attending to. It's that Greek word where we get the word deacon, deacona. And so here's what we see. She is deaconing. She is serving Christ. And it's very interesting. The same word is used by Jesus when he declares this in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Even the Son of Man, he did not come to serve. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, this is the mission of Jesus, not to randomly heal the sick, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You want to live on mission? Like truly, you want, you want to live on mission? Yeah, I want to live on mission. Selflessly serve Christ and others. That's a great way to live on mission. And so here, we just get this glimpse of Christ and, and his kingdom, where not here, not, not now, Things are temporarily restored. Things are temporarily fixed, made whole, made new in that moment. But it's just a glimpse of God's future kingdom where all things are restored and all things are made new and all things are wonderful. That ought to motivate us just to serve Christ. Serve Christ, serve Christ. Proclaim him and his kingdom. But not only do we see a glimpse of the kingdom of God, we're also going to see a glimpse of Christ's compassion. A glimpse of Christ's compassion we're going to see another scene shift here in verse 32. We're going to go kind of from the bedroom or wherever she was at with her sickness to the front door. And also I want you to notice a, a time shift is important as well. Scripture says this, When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought him in, all those who were sick and demon-possessed. Now the Sabbath of this day would have been Friday at sunset to Saturday at sunset. And so these were extremely religious people that are going to be coming to him. You know what's, what's interesting, though? They were, they were caught under the bondage of legalism. We're going, to, we're going to live up to the law, live up to the law, because the law, 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 law on Sabbath day. So there's people with sickness, there's people with demons, and they're not seeing God work on their behalf in the Sabbath. And so as soon as the Sabbath is over, we're going we're gonna to run, not necessarily looking for the Messiah, but, but a miracle man, a magic man, someone to take care of my problems. And so they are so bound up in the law, as soon as sun goes down, because in, in, the, in this Jewish world in which they lived, Sunday, we're just not going to do anything. We're going to go to the synagogue, but we're not going to travel, we're not going to work, we're not going to do anything. But as soon as sun, sundown goes over, I can put my law kind of to the side and I can go work, I can go look for that little genie in the bottle. I can go look for that little ma magic man. I can go look for that, that cure that I need. What they needed was to run to the Messiah and it didn't matter if it was on the Sabbath or not because as we'll learn later, Jesus is Lord of the Messiah. But they're not running to him on the Sabbath day because they don't recognize him as the Messiah. They look at him as a quick fix. And sadly, that's somewhat the culture in which we live. They're looking here, there, and everywhere for quick fixes, not necessarily looking to the Messiah and what he can offer. So, we see this shift taking place here. 
They're, 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 they're bound to their religion, and yet they're still looking for real answers to their real-life problems. But here's why I want us to notice as we look at the Scripture. They don't come looking for the Messiah. They're looking for, I need cure from disease. I need this demon removed. Now listen, um, I can't actually blame them, right? I mean, if you had family or friend, if you're struggling with sickness or some sort of disease or demons or something, and you heard someone came into town that could fix it, who wouldn't run to this? So I'm not faulting them for running there because in that day and time, I probably would have ran there with my friends or family that needed a cure. So I'm not faulting them for running there. I just want to put things in a greater context of who this crowd is and who is coming. And so as the crowd is coming to the door, what would Jesus do? Would he, ah, I'm too busy. It's been a long day. I'm tired. Just, just have, send them away. They can come back tomorrow. Well, what would Jesus do? He's not going to send them away, no. He's going to compassionately restore. One by one, he sought to meet the needs, full well knowing there is a much greater need than the temporary sickness and struggles of their current day. As Savior, he knew the ultimate solution was found in him. And he's going to show forth compassion and patience, and he cares for their temporary concerns. And so hopefully you and I would seek to be like Christ, ready to extend compassion over criticism. You know, um, whether this is in our home or out of our home, because here's what, here's what we come to see. Who else coming? Look at verse 33. The whole town was assembled at the door. May we learn from Christ. We can know that he, that is Jesus, is the ultimate need of people. But may we be willing to show the compassion of Christ to actually point the people to Christ. Right? Like, well, you just get your life in order and turn to Christ. Yes, that is true. But Jesus isn't telling them to get their lives in order. He's, he's meeting them where they're at, at the front door. And anyone that comes to the front door right in front of Jesus, Jesus is seeking to love them. He is seeking to show forth compassion to them. He's not saying, ah, I think yeah, you get compassion, and you get compassion, and you get compassion, but you don't, you don't, and you don't. We don't see that. The many and all is who he is having compassion to. Don't answer this question out loud, but as you think of your compassion this past week, was it overflowing within your home, out of your home, in, in the lives of young ones, in the lives of old ones, in the lives of rude ones? Was it overflowing? Was, was just compassion and care of Christ overflowing in your life? Or was it not? Because I think here's one of the things, not only is the miracles going to be very compelling, but everywhere Christ went, they knew that he was different. He had this care and compassion that was different than anyone else. And this is the care and compassion that we need to have as well. And understanding it's the care and compassion he has towards us. So let's compassionately come alongside those who come to the doorway of our lives. Look at verse 34. And we're going to see the power and compassion of Christ. It's on full display. Verse 34 says, And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons, person after person, just having compassion here, compassion here, just overflowing in all that he says and all that he does. You know what's interesting as we look at the distinctions here? Mark is careful to talk about those who have sickness and disease and those who have unclean spirits and demons. 
I think this is important for us just from a theological aspect of trying to understand that we live in a sin-cursed world and sickness and disease is part of that. That's part of that. Their sicknesses and disease isn't necessarily because of some certain sin that they have committed, nor is their sickness and disease some sort of demon possession either. Satan is just having his way with them. No, 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 no. I mean, when we think of Job in Old Testament and his friends, you know, hey, just, just, just confess your sins, repent, and be made right. Job was actually holy. It was his friends who were actually unholy. But he was suffering through the sickness. You know, um, this is also good for some religions because there are some religions, right, that think of, well, your sickness is because of some sin. They have a low or lack of understanding of the theological, uh, theologically uh, understanding of what suffering is. You see, the fact of the matter is, God uses, allows, and in some cases, orchestrates suffering within our life. We don't like suffering, we don't enjoy it, but, but the fact of the matter is, think about it. If there was no suffering in the world, who would ever need a savior? My life is good, your life is good. It is suffering that actually causes us to put the pause button on life and, and actually stop and consider my life and, and, and all of these things. And so suffering is one of the means in which God uses to draw us close to him. I mean, that's why it's easy to go to a homeless shelter and talk about our need for Christ because they see the brokenness of their life. And then if we go to a rich and wealthy neighborhood, those that have it all and you try to ex explain your need for Savior, they say, get off my lawn. I don't need your Savior. I got everything. You see, suffering is the means in which we see God in a whole new light. You see, the fact of the matter is, if these people didn't have sickness, would they be on the doorstep of Jesus? Would the whole town be there at Jesus? No. They saw they needed something that he offered. They didn't realize to the extent of what he offered, but they needed what he offered. And he's offering some wonderful things here. And so regardless of the struggle, Christ looks to restore it's a glimpse of his compassionate heart. And notice there, it's not the result of any spells or special words or religious rituals. It's his authority. He simply healed. He simply drove out spirits. Many, it says, time and time again. But remember, Jesus' mission was bigger than this moment. He came to be the Messiah to man. Look at verse 34. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. You see, men may be confused as to the identity of Christ but the demons certainly were not. And the culture is still true today. People are, 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 have yet to understand who Christ is and what he offers. They, they don't know his full identity. And so that's why we are supposed to give glimpses of who Christ is. How, how do we showcase Christ? Show compassion. Speak forth truth, right? All of these things. But people are wanting this miracle. And so in the midst of their suffering, what they really need is a savior. And so Mark is helping the reader to see what others had overlooked in Jesus' day. They didn't see it. Mark is helping to unveil the identity of Jesus and give us a glimpse of Christ. You see, Christ looked to silence his full identity as Messiah in this moment. Christ came to fulfill a cross work, and there was much work to be done leading to the cross. And he's not going to allow demons to derail his message. He's not going to allow them to distract from what he's, he's here to do. And so, these guys just want to be heckling. They wanted to create trouble. And he says, no, demons, you be silent. And they be silent. There's certain aspects of Christ's ministry that were mysterious, but we get a glimpse here. 
We, we see that his mission is to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That, that was the message of Christ, and that's coming, that's coming, that's coming. But we need to be mindful of this. The compassion of Jesus towards man, the compassion of Jesus towards man is what drives his commitment towards his cross mission. Do you catch that? The, the, the compassion in which he has is actually what compels him to continue on for his mission, which is the cross, to be the ransom for you and I. That, that, that's where this compassion flows from and goes towards. But why the mystery of the Messiah? Well, the un, undercover mission of Jesus is being uncovered. You see, Jesus is going to withhold his full identity until the right moment. Jesus is going to make it known, but he's going to give glimpses. But on his timetable, there's going to be numerous times in the book of Mark where we see this. Four, three different times where he tells the demons to be silent. They, they want to speak out about who he is. There's going to be four miracles where he says, hey, don't, don't tell anyone about this. Let's just keep this between us. Why is he doing this? There's going to be two times with his disciples. Hey, don't, don't, don't let this be known. Don't let this out of the bag just yet. Hold on to this info till later. And then there's going to be two times where they're seeking to identify him and, and capture him and, and have his name and his identity unveiled. And he mysteriously vanishes the scene. Why? 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 Why is he keeping things under wraps? There's probably ten or more that we could identify. I'm going to identify five reasons why I think he has the silence here, why, why he keeps this mysterious. This is going to be helpful for us as we work, work through the book of Mark. Number one is this. Jesus wanted to avoid being a miracle worker. He didn't want to just become as the guy who comes into town and heals people. He came to defeat the power and effect of sin to deliver and rescue people. That's why he came. So he wants to avoid being a, a miracle worker. Number two is this. He wanted to avoid unhelpful publicity. While he loved being around the crowds, one of his main mission's goal was for the genuine followers was to withdraw from the crowds, pour into them, love them, teach them, because he knew beyond the cross, they're going to be the ones that are going to be carrying the torch. They're going to be the ones that are going to be carrying the message. And so while he could spend 24-7 amongst the crowds, he actually wanted to withdraw from the crowds. And we're going to see this throughout the Gospel of Mark. There's also reasons why if it would have come out right then and there that he is the Messiah and everyone starts talking about this, Rome would have become very upset because they look at their emperor as the Messiah and someone starts going around saying, no, there's a new emperor in town. That emperor gets his head chopped off. So there's a reason why he's silencing the demons. The demons are trying to, to do this. They're trying to unveil this. And Jesus said, no, not right now. No, 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 no not just yet. Number three is this. Jesus wanted to avoid people <clears throat> misconceptions about the Messiah. Remember, he is not looking to raise up a military power leader. He is not looking to, to overtake in the world of politics. He's actually setting and bringing forth an eternal kingdom. And he didn't want people to get the, the, the mixed message of the kingdom. I'm coming to build this kingdom. And then, no, 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 no. You don't understand the kingdom in which I talk. Which is oftentimes why he's going to talk in parables where they wouldn't understand, and then he would withdraw and, to the followers, explain further, so they would get a great, greater grasp on who he was and what he was doing, building this kingdom. Number four is this. Jesus wanted to express his humility as the suffering servant of Christ. 
How is he a suffering servant if all he does is heal people? He never actually suffers or goes through anything. You see, the Messiah's life would be characterized by service and suffering. Why? To set an example for us to follow. So our life as Christians, we ought not expect a bed of roses. Happy-go-lucky all the time, which would be awesome and amazing. But he actually gave us this example. It's okay to suffer. It's It's okay to struggle. Let's just follow me and allow my sufficient grace to carry you through day by day through the highs and lows of life. Number five is this. Jesus wanted to showcase the importance of faith in him as the Messiah rather than simple feelings of the moment. Jesus wanted to showcase the importance of faith in him as the Messiah rather than simply feelings of the moment. You see, we are to trust in him because of his death on our behalf and because of his resurrection for our victory. Not because of temporal miracles, which end up only being temporal moments of following. Lots of people follow Jesus for the moment, for the miracle, and then they leave. They're they're not true followers because they they haven't come to follow him by faith and understanding who he is and what he offers. The reason nobody recognized him as the Messiah in these early stages is really twofold. Ultimately, God had not revealed it to him. In fact, later on, when we see Peter, uh, who who, who, who do you say that I am? Well, many say this and many say this. No, but who do you say that I am? And Peter identifies him as the Messiah. In the Gospel of Matthew, he says, yes, these things have been revealed to you by God. So God is the one who opens the eyes and and so lets them know he's the Messiah. So it hasn't been revealed to them yet, but then they were also looking in the complete wrong direction. They weren't looking for this Messiah Jesus. They were looking for this current Messiah Jesus, small kingdom, earthly kingdom, right now kingdom, not eternal kingdom. So they're they're missing it because they're not seeing it. But you see, Jesus may not have been the first century Messiah that they were looking or hoping for, but he was the Messiah, the first century Messiah, and the world currently truly needs. You see, our greatest ailment in life, and I think you know this, is not our sickness. Our greatest ailment in life is our sin. Our greatest ailment in life or struggle in life is not demons, but it is death. We need someone to conquer sin and death. Well, that's Jesus, that's Messiah, that, that's who he is, and that's what he does. Give his life a ransom for many, praise God. That's the Messiah who God sent. And so, I know we're going quickly. You know, we live in a world of constant conflict. Evil is everywhere. The recent horrific events in Israel is a prime example of the world that is full of problems. Political and military leaders will not fix them. They will come and go then and now. Jesus' day, our day, which is the exact reason Jesus came to establish an eternal kingdom. Because in Christ, nothing can separate us from his love and from his power. You see, in Christ's kingdom, it does not end. The kingdoms of this day and of our current day, they rise and fall. They just fluctuate. And although the world is full of hatred and heartbreaking circumstances, we can place our hope in Christ and find comfort in his compassion as we anticipate his coming kingdom. You see, the world isn't in need of someone to come and orchestrate world peace. It's just not going to happen this side of heaven. not going to happen in this kingdom. The world needs the peace of God and peace with God that only comes through Christ. And so hear this, Christian, 
While we can't fix the problems of the world, we can point people to Christ in a world of problems. That's what we need to do. As you have conversations with neighbors and coworkers, you, yeah, and, and they're thinking about all the things within this world, they don't have a whole lot of answers. And they can watch this and just be totally dumbfounded and, and think, I thought we were getting better in this world. No, 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 no. Uh, let me tell you about the world in which God sees things. Broken, fixed, temporal, eternal. These ought to be things that we ought to be showing glimpses of God to others. You know, I think it would be amazing to be able to perform miracles. And yet, here's what I want you to know. It's okay if you can't because we aren't called to. The Great Commission isn't go into all the world, heal the sick, and cast out demons. That is not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is this. Go into all the world, make disciples who make disciples. And baptize them, you know, identifying them as genuine followers of Jesus. That's the Great Commission. And so the Great Commission is the great calling of all Christians. Jesus didn't call or come to just heal the sick. He came to bring the kingdom of God to the heart of sinful man. His task wasn't to draw a crowd. It was to draw people to him. Repent, believe, follow me. That's the message of Christ. That's what he wanted us to see. You know, as I think of church planting, we're this new, young, small church. The whole point of church planting is not to draw a crowd, although I'm thankful for a crowd. I'm, I'm glad you're here today. The whole point of church planting is this, that we would be a committed group that are committed to the mission of God, not to heal all the problems of our community and crowd, but to actually cast the vision to, to proclaim Christ to our community. That's what he's called us to. So today we've seen this glimpse of the kingdom. We've seen the, the compassion of Christ that drives his mission. Hopefully that will drive our mission. In closing, I just want you to think about this. What people need, Jesus provides. Identity, purpose, hope, patience, love overflowing mercy and grace, all of these things. This, this is what people need. And here's what we see in today's story. God cares about people. He is compassionate towards their problems and their pain. This is who Christ is. And God knows our hurt, and he knows our need of help. And God has remedied this. Our hopeless situation comes through Christ. If you're a Christian, you know that today, and you're experiencing that. But as you look around you and you see others that don't know Christ, we ought to be able to go out and share this and show this to others. While other people are looking for miracles, I, I want you to know there is still the greatest of all miracles that takes place today. Like, what is that? God takes the spiritually dead person and makes them spiritually alive. You may not see this total instantaneous transformation but in the eyes of God and where he sees them at in their sinful condition and saves them from that, positionally, they, they go from dead to life, condemned to hell to a new life of heaven eternally with him. This is the miracle that God offers to man. And this is too good to keep silent. This is something we must live and proclaim. Let's pray.